If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Drew Lang. I'm the youth pastor here at Golfside Church. And I just want to say, I might be a bit biased, but I think we have the best youth group in the county. Uh, thank you guys are so much easier than first service. They're, they just didn't say anything. They're just like, <laughs> but uh, truly though, the best part of my job is being with the students and you guys make that a lot easier. You guys are incredible parents. And uh, my job would be a lot harder if you as parents didn't love on your kids, didn't care about them, didn't pour God's word into them. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you, all you parents, for all the work that you do, because it does matter, and (laughs) it makes my job a lot easier. So can we give a round of applause to all the parents in here? Thank you. Well, uh, I'm not going to uh, stall any longer. Let's just get right into it. So will you bow your heads, close your eyes as we pray today? Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be here. And Lord, I just pray that um, we have an encounter with you. Uh, We want to know more of you. I pray that you use us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So it was third grade when I decided that I wanted to start playing an instrument. And I didn't necessarily know which one, but after a couple years, I realized I want to play some piano. And I wanted to learn how to play the piano. So I think it was in fifth grade, my parents were very amazing and bought a piano for me. And I started getting lessons and I started playing piano. And I loved it so much that in a year I quit. But I always knew that, like, I love music. And no one else in my family really plays instruments, but we have uh, a lot of music background in our in our family. We love music. We listen to a bunch of different genres. So I kind of knew at some point I'd probably be playing a different instrument. And the one that I really wanted to play was the drums. And in college, I had a bunch of friends that could play the drums really good. So I kind of did a give and a take where I would have them give me free lessons and I would give them the company... A, of my, my company. And like that, that's all I would give them. I didn't give them anything else. I'm poor. And I started playing about uh, once or twice a week. And two months into this, I get a phone call from a church. And here's what the church said to me. Is this Drew? And I'm like, yes. Who else would it be? And they said, well, we heard that you've been playing for a couple of years and that you're really good and we want you to play for us. Mind you, I've only been playing for two months. I can't keep a beat. I can't play a beat. I can't keep tempo. I can't play a song well. And I guess they, they thought I was another guy. So (laughs) I don't recommend what I just did, but I didn't correct them. And I said, Oh, you need a drummer. I guess I'll do it. (laughs) So they want me to be their drummer for their youth's Christmas service. So I was like, you know what? I may not be that good, but God's allowing this to happen, right? So I can, I can make this happen. So I start practicing for like uh, every single week uh, up till this service. And we go and I do the first practice set with this band. And it was so bad. They never asked me to play again. <laughs> I, I bombed it so badly. Literally the worship leader just looked at me and was like, <laughs> and I mean, I don't blame her though. Like <laughs> it was not the, the greatest moment of my life. It was definitely one of the worst decisions I've ever made. And no matter how great I thought I was at playing the drums, um, that week proved I wasn't very quickly. And it, it, it's funny because you can think you're good at something and then a random church asks you to play and you're not that good. 
And you learn very quickly on the job that like sometimes you reveal that you're not as good as you think you were, right? Has anyone ever had that experience before? No? Okay, just me? Okay. But I think oftentimes we as Christians, we understand fundamentally that hard times can be good for us, that we can grow in hard times. And oftentimes I've noticed that we as Christians, we tend to maybe not seek God more, but we tend to press into his presence a bit more. When things are difficult, we pray, we believe that God can move. And that, that seems to be very easy for us as Christians to do. And that's awesome. That's how it should be. But I've also noticed that sometimes when things are good, we tend to let go a little bit. Maybe, maybe you don't do this. Maybe you're great and that's awesome. But I, I've noticed for me, I tend to not pray as much. I tend to rely on my own strength a little bit. And it's funny how we can be very spiritual when things are bad, but when things are good, we tend to be a bit less. And we often say that bad times reveal good character. You can actually see who people are. Good times do the same thing too. Sometimes you think your faith is a bit stronger and, and then you get everything you wanted. And you realize you probably relied on yourself a bit more to get that than you expected. Or sometimes God comes through and then we just stop praying. Maybe that's not you, but I've noticed for me, I don't value or view good times correctly. And it often says a lot about how I view God. So today, as we go into week 10 of the story, the story is a book that goes through the entire Bible, and you can see overarching themes throughout the entire Bible. It's been an incredible series for me. I've learned a lot through it. But one of the main things about this chapter that I've learned is that the Israelites were removed from Egypt. God parts the Red Sea. He provides food for them. They go to the promised land. They become a great nation. Now, at this moment, the promises of God of being in the promised land— are fulfilled. They have what they want. They're free. They're financially independent. They can do what they want. They're a nation. And yet in the book of Judges, they mess it up over and over again. In fact, it's actually a theme in the book of Judges where the Israelites will be enslaved from another country. Then they cry out to God and then God saves them and then they become very happy, but then they're, they just forget God and they forget his mercy and then they become enslaved again. And it's a cycle over and over again and it happens over and over for 400 years. And then there's one point in 1 Samuel 8 where I think something changes. Something maybe snapped is not the right word, but something is revealed here. The Israelites go to Samuel, the prophet, and you'll see this uh, in 1 Samuel 8, verses 4 and 5. It will be on the screen. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel, Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old. Kids, don't tell that to your parents. It does not work. Mom, I want a car and you're old. Don't. Bad idea. So they said to him, you are old. And your sons do not follow your ways. Now anoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. If you do not understand the significance of that one statement, let me break it down. 
Samuel was the de facto leader at this time. People came to him for his wisdom and guidance, and he appointed his sons to run parts of the country, but they were evil and wicked, and they did terrible things. The Israelites have gone through 400 years of being uh, freed by God, getting re-enslaved, free by God, getting re-enslaved. And on the outside, what they're asking for seems very simple. It seems like we keep getting enslaved, so let's have a king. That seems to solve it. Here's the issue, though. The problem was not that God left them. The problem was that Israel forgot all of God and what he did. So consistently, when Israel wants a king, notice in the verse, if you can put up that last part of the verse, it says, we want to be like the other nations. The point of the Israelites was to be one nation separate from all the other nations. They were God's chosen people. You're not supposed to be like everyone else. Why are you trying to ask to be a king when you're not supposed to do that? In fact, it gets even, it gets even deeper. It's almost a rejection of what God has done for them in the past. Yeah, God, we know that you've provided before, but we want a king just to see who is going to lead us forward. And there comes a question here. Are they prideful? Are they asking for something that they shouldn't ask for? Is this right or is this wrong? And, and deeper, did this come out of nowhere or was this always there? Was this something that they've always dealt with or did this just pop up out of nowhere? And what you find often is that pride is such a small thing at first and it slowly grows over time. And the day that you notice it is not the day that I first came. It's been there for a while. And the sad part is that oftentimes the most prideful people don't even realize they're prideful. So the Israelites think that they're doing the right thing in their eyes by forgetting all of God and what he has done for them. Maybe a a better way to phrase it is this. The Israelites wanted independence from God's control. They wanted all the blessings that God can give and none of the control that they had to give up. They wanted all the Red Sea crossings and God to provide manna, but also they wanted to do whatever they wanted to do with other nations. They wanted to live their life and get all the goods. And the funny thing is that inherently, that's impossible. You can only serve one master. And trust me, if you try to live your life holding your worldly life in one hand and holding the godly life in another hand, it doesn't work out well, does it? And it's their, their pride, their hubris to not only forget God, but to think that they can live their life independent of him, forgetting the fact that they're there because of him. And and this gets even deeper. How often do, when we get what we want, forget all the things that God has given us? When things are finally provided, maybe you've been financially struggling for a very long time and God finally provides for that Do you thank him? Or do you do what I tend to do where I forget that he's the one that provided that, not me? 
how we view God in our successes really says a lot about how we view God in every other time. We can say we honor God when that's all we got, but when there are other options that are shinier, do we still trust him? Do we still follow him? And the sad thing is that oftentimes you'll realize that when you actually get what you want, it's not what you needed. And it's prideful to think that if God doesn't provide what I want, when I want, then he's not good. Like, can we, can we just call a spade a spade? Can we call as it is? To demand God gives us something, to be frustrated that he doesn't, and to expect him to do that as if he owes us, that's prideful. He can do whatever he wants to do and he can provide for you and he's not limited to anything, but he doesn't have to. If all God did was die on the cross and that's all he did, he's still worthy of praise. He doesn't have to do anything else for us. And yet he continues to do that anyways. So why should we get mad when he doesn't provide when we expect it? He's still a good father. He's still the God of your life. Oh, sorry. You thought your relationship with him was based on what he can give you, not who he is. I thought that my relationship with him was based on what he gave me and not who he is. And you know what's funny in this story? God calls it out immediately. The elders come to uh, Samuel, they say this, and Samuel's like, Lord, please help me. And listen to what God says in 1 Samuel 8, 7. And the Lord told him, listen to all the people that are saying to you, it is not that they are rejecting you. They've rejected me as their king. They had a complete misnomer. They thought that the judges were who were king over Israel. God was originally king over Israel and God is actually king over any Christian's life. And if you think that you are the king of your life, it doesn't really work out well, does it? You can oftentimes tell who's in control of your life by not only where you spend your money, where you spend your time and how you demand it and how you get frustrated when things don't go your way. We're calling a spade a spade here, but to expect God to move on your behalf and to get extremely annoyed that he doesn't and to be like all hurt about it. I mean, that's not why we serve him. That's not why we serve him. Let, let me put it even more simply, okay? Uh, can we show that photo up there? Uh, my wife just had an amazingly handsome, beautiful boy. Uh, this is my family. If you haven't had a chance to meet my family yet, uh, my son right up there is named Ryder. And then that's my daughter named Reese. They're twins, double the trouble. Uh, and then we have Rowan. He's still trying to figure out how to open his eyes, but don't worry, he'll get there one day. And Ryder and Reese are amazing kids and they, that whole twin connection thing is absolutely true. But the one thing I've learned is that they're really independent and Ryder has learned about the word no. And he thinks that if he tells his dad no, then he doesn't have to listen to his dad. And I know his dad doesn't necessarily work that way all the time. But if Ryder and Reese could do whatever they want to do, I can tell you two things that they would do. Uh, three things, actually. Number one, they would watch Paw Patrol 24-7. Number two, they would eat cookies for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And number three, they would go to bed at midnight because they're kids. They want to do all that stuff. And 
I don't know why, but I feel like I thought maybe, you know, after a few days and weeks and months of the same schedule, they would learn that we're going to bed at seven. But no, they still fight it constantly. Ryder still screams. And what Ryder and Reese don't realize is that as a parent, if they follow the schedule and they eat healthy, they will not only be healthier kids, but they'll be happier kids. I mean, we have all seen a toddler that didn't get enough sleep, right? It was scary. Ryder and Reese just need to trust my timing. If you try to get God's blessing too early and not on his timing, let me put it how the Proverbs say, okay? Proverbs 21.20. This is good. An inheritance claimed too soon will not be blessed at the end. A good thing given to you at the wrong time can hurt you. So, when we talk about like following God and doing his will, it's not just that we want him to move. We want him to move on his timing because when we ask God to move on our timing, it's usually not with everything else in mind. So hear me when I say this. Yes, we want God to move, but if he doesn't move, he's still moving on his timing and that's okay. Can you trust that his timing is better than yours? Can you trust that his timing is better than yours when the diagnosis is not what you want? Can you trust that his timing is yours when you've prayed consistently for a year and you haven't seen anything yet? Look, I get this as much as anyone else. I have prayed multiple times for God to move and God has not moved. But my life, my relationship with Jesus is not dictated on what he does, but who he is. So if he never did anything else, he's still my savior. That should be the same for us. Regardless of what he does, he's still king. Well, what if, he, what if he allows bad things to happen? He's still king. What if he doesn't allow bad things to happen? He's still king. What if I get fired? He's still king. I don't know of any other option where he's not king. So we can say that, but can we follow that church? That he deserves our servanthood regardless if we get what we want or when we want it. And you know what's the funny thing I've actually realized? As I've gotten older, when I wait for God to give me what I need at the right time, I always appreciate it more. In fact, what's often funny is that if you get something too early, you can make that an idol in your life. You almost value that more than the person that gave it to you. I know you want God to move. I get that. Totally understand that. But your love isn't based on if he moves or not. It's who he is. That's why we love him. So can you trust him when his timing does not equal ours? Or will you be like the Israelites who try to do things their way? Because after they said this to Samuel, they had a king elected. His name was Saul. Maybe you've heard of him. Saul was tall. Ooh, he was six foot five. I actually don't know that for a fact, but I'm imagining that's pretty tall. He was tan. He was handsome. Oh man, he was a hunk. We can admit, he, he, the Bible said he was good looking. And you know what's funny? 
He was just like the Israelites. He looked great on the outside, but when a push came to shove, he had the exact same issues. Impatience, lack of faith, and anger. He literally showed the exact same things that the Israelites showed over and over and over again in the book of Judges. Why is that? Because when you rush things, you don't cover the sin. It's still there. You don't cover the deficiencies. If your heart is bankrupt and you get a million dollars, your heart is still bankrupt. That doesn't change anything. When I used to coach dramas uh, for my old church, the one phrase that we always had was, above all else, we want to experience Jesus more. Because if you're a jerk, but you get first place, you're still a jerk the next day. It's true though. We've gotten so used to and so desiring of the location and where we go that we forget who we're with. We forget that he provides everything. So please hear me. If God gave you what you wanted today, would that change your relationship with him? And if it does, may I just suggest that maybe your faith is not placed in him, it's placed in yourself. What a shame it would be if we kept having pastors who had their church explode and then kept cheating on their wife. That's not, that's not good. What if lives are saved? Yeah, person failed at their job because they were promoted faster than their character could maintain it. They didn't set up healthy boundaries. Let's not repeat that. And same for your job. What a shame it would be if you made a million dollars, but your family was destroyed. Let's not have that. We can be godly people, serve God with everything we are, be great at our job and be great husbands and wives and be great fathers and mothers. We can do all that. We just have to put the right boundaries and set the right things in our lives. So I'm challenging you here, please. It takes humility to admit that we have issues. It takes humility to accept that God has a plan and it takes humility to realize that his plan might be different than ours, but it's better. If you want something fancy like that rhymes, I got a few, okay? I got some really good ones. Just get ready. Oh, this is good. This made me laugh. Be humble or you'll stumble. I totally didn't make that one up. I got that from someone else. What about this one? Don't push for your position before your commission. Ooh. Don't let your position determine your importance. If you have a million dollars or you don't, if you have a job or you don't, if you're married or you're single, first and foremost, you are a son and daughter of Jesus. And that trumps all. Nothing can supersede that. So why would we put anything above that? And why would we determine our faith based on what we get or what we don't get? We have so much history of the Israelites failing to not only believe in God and to remember what he's done, but making the same decision over and over again that we should at least try not to do the same thing. I get it, it's hard. 
It's never supposed to be easy, but God's so good. At the end of the day, he's worth it all, so it's worth any sacrifice. Truly, do you believe that? And remember, belief isn't just what we say. It's how we act. It's how we live. Through good and bad. Worship team, you can come on up. You know what's funny about this whole passage, though? I actually learned this for the first time ever. I thought this was the only time that the Israelites demanded a king. This is not. This is the second time that the Israelites demanded for a king. The first time was the story with Gideon. For those of you that have never heard the story of Gideon, quick spark notes recap in 30 seconds. Gideon was raised up uh, by God to defeat an army of Midianites, about 80,000 people. Gideon had 30,000 people. But he, God felt like that if he won that battle, Gideon would rejoice in his own strength and not God's own strength. So God whittled down that army to 300 people and they defeated 80,000 people. Catch this. Gideon comes home from absolute victory, knowing that he did not do it, but God did all the work. And do you know what the Israelites said? Oh, oh, this is so good. Oh, the verse. Oh, man. It's Judges 8, 22 through 23. The Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us. You, your son and your grandson. Oh, and listen to this next part. This is insane. Because you have saved us from the hands of the Midianites. And Gideon's response is the most gangster thing I've ever heard in my life. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son. The Lord will rule over you. That never changed. But the Israelites saw something good, but because in their heart, they wanted something completely different. They wanted to circumnavigate what God had for them originally and go right around it. Gideon said, no, this isn't it. The Lord is our king. The Lord is the one that we serve. Regardless of who's on the throne, he is first and foremost. And the same applies to you. No matter who's in power, no matter who runs the country or the world, no matter who runs the state, the Lord is in control. And if we act like that everything else changing will fix what's in our heart, we are completely mistaken. We have to start first with heart change. What a shame it would be if we gained massive heights, but we ourselves were far from God. One of the most humbling verses, I'm going completely off right here, but I know that I need to say this. One of the most humbling verses that we preached about at youth recently, we've been going through Matthew uh, 7 and just going through the verse. And in Matthew 7, it mentions this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in the name drive out demons and in your name perform miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It doesn't matter what you do if your heart's far from God. You can do great and mighty things, but if you don't believe inside yourself that Jesus is your savior and follow that out, it sounds like it's worthless. 
We need to believe in our hearts and live that out above all else. Regardless of what we get or what we don't get, regardless of what we gain or don't gain, regardless of what we lose or what we achieve in the end, it should not matter. His love and why we live should be first and foremost. So church, I'm begging you, please hear this from a guy that's 26 and still trying to figure out life. There's so much more to life than just making a quick buck and getting the car you want. There's so much more to life than just finding the spouse you want and having kids. And if we don't put God first and foremost, then what are we doing this for? Let's God, let, let God change our heart. Final point. Can you put that verse back up there? An inheritance claim too soon. An inheritance claim too soon will not be blessed at the end. I hope that's not us. And I don't think it will be. But can we do everything in our power to not only say we believe in Jesus, but act it and live it out? Will you do that? Who do you serve? Who's on the throne of your heart? I pray that it's not you. Because at the end of the day, pride comes before a fall. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity to be here. And Lord, I just pray that you use us right now. Lord, there's been many times in my life where I've put other things or other people or myself before you and it never has really worked out, has it? I am here because of you. I'm alive because of you. So Lord, I pray for everyone in this room. Let us not forget what God has done for us in the past. Let us not misinterpret things that to believe that we have done them. We recognize that. But Lord, with humility, we run to you recognize that you are the author and perfecter of our faith. And I pray as we go through this last song that we really focus in on who you are and who we are and how much we are in need of a Savior. In Jesus' name.